I plan to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires. Many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. All right, Peter. All right. But so yeah, welcome to Ditch Digger CEO. We're, we're happy to have you today, Peter. We, um, we love you know, reaching out to people that we think are leaders in their space. Um, the goal is to inspire others to, to think differently and, and, uh, and to hopefully uh, eliminate envy and get people to say, man, you know what? I'm, I'm done being envious. I'm going out and do it on my own, right? I love that mission. People, too many people, I think, sit back and, and uh, you know, don't think they can do it. Don't think they can access success. And, mm. you know, I've been blessed that I've never had that mentality in my head. But I know there's people that change from, from one that has a little of that, that, that envy mentality to, to uh, eventually a mentality where they're going to take on the world. And that's, that, that's amazing when they can change. So that's what your job is today, brother. Like, like mine and Robbie's, we're constantly wanting to, you know, to tell, tell, talk about the American dream and all the great things we have in this country that we can take advantage of that you can't actually get everywhere else. So, so Peter, uh, introduce yourself. We'd like to start with you know, maybe a little bit about your business and what you do. Then go backwards and tell us where you started in, in life kind of as a kid and what, what gave you the inspiration that maybe someday you wanted to do something as an entrepreneur. Sure. Well, and, and I love, you know, what you said earlier, Gary, because I'm in the transformation business. Um, I certainly didn't start there. Uh, I have uh, owned and still own several different companies. Uh, my biggest, uh, that was on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies for a couple of years in a row is Gem Advertising. Uh, we're a marketing agency. Uh, right now, we're helping folks transition onto the virtual world and understand how to build relationships and sell uh, in our, you know, digital world brought on by the zombie apocalypse here in 2020. Um, yeah. Now, you know, over the course of our history, we've done a ton of stuff, worked with, you know, startups to the Fortune 500 and uh, even threw a party for Warren Buffett once. So I'm sure we'll get into some of those stories. But I was always an ambitious kid growing up, I have to say. Um, I, you know, now in my, um, I'm not going to call it adulthood because that would imply I'm mature and I'm not. But, you know, now that I'm, I'm to this stage, I have my fingers in a lot of different businesses. And as a kid, I had my fingers in a lot of different things. I was uh, uh, in figure skating. I was in skating. I was in theater, I was in acting and swimming and all this stuff. Um, and that was, you know, thanks to my parents. And so I got a broad sort of exposure to a lot of great things. And the one challenge that stuck was figure skating um, as a, a very serious figure skater trained for, you know, what was hopefully the Olympics did not work out. Um, but there was nothing, there was nothing more difficult than that guys. Like after you uh, fall on your ass in front of 3000 people, alone in a cold drink wearing tights, nothing is challenging. <laughs> nothing is difficult. After. I love it. So I agree. Gave me quite the foundation growing up. That's, that's cool. You know, I, uh, I met your uh, former NFLers here and there. I was actually on the NFL executive, call, uh, executive board or if you want to call it for some time. And it was fun to get to know some of these NFLers and there's work. These are world-class athletes, of course. Right. And some of them hall of famers even. And, and I, it was, it was, I loved talking to them about what their next steps were, whether they're just, you know, just retired or even 10 years out. Um, because boy, they, they were on the biggest stage in the world. They're a world-class athlete. They had to work you know, at a world-class level to be great. 
take those same attributes and, and do it again, right? If you can, it, it just seems like sometimes people look back at that, that's that big stage and they're like, like with a crutch, I'll never, never have that again. You know, my life, my, my, the best part of my life is past me and all that. And, and I think that, boy, that's, that's amazing. Whether you're a professional athlete, a division one athlete, whatever, that's an amazing platform to know that you could perform in front of the biggest stage and, and have all, you should have all the confidence in the world the rest of your life. Right. So yours is a perfect example to be able to be, to be, to fall, like you're saying in, in front of a crowd of people on, on, on some, you know, some, you know, fro- that, that ice, right. I mean, gosh, that's gotta be uh, an incredible experience in a negative way temporarily, but boy, get back up and, you, and if you get back up and you can, and you can kick butt again, you know, you, you just, you just uh, got over a big hurdle. You can do that the rest of your life and be successful. Right. Well, what you just said is true if you believe it. And also, if your career is done, you'll never be successful again. That's true if you believe it. <laughs> that's true. So That's right. No, that's awesome. All right. So, so uh, yeah, tell us about some of the business you, you started. And, and, okay, so you must have had an amazing, amazing childhood with two great parents that loved you a lot, they, that threw a lot, threw a lot of stuff at you. You know, hey, hey Peter, you, you, you want to do that? Sure, we'll, put, we'll get you in front of that. You want to be act, do some acting? Sure, let's, let's, uh, well, let's, we'll support you there. So you had that support, that support system around you, two loving parents, huh? Yeah, I was really fortunate in that. And um, one thing they also sort of instilled in me is don't do something half-ass. You know, mm-hmm. if you're going to do it, then strive to do it well. And if you're not going to do it well, then maybe think about not doing it. Um, yeah. And it wasn't in a pressured sort of way. It was in a, you have an option to strive for excellence or not know that it is an option, like a deliberate choice, not something that's sort of willy nilly. And, um, uh, you know, that was, <laughs> it's funny guys, you know, I've actually never talked about this on a podcast before, but that was never like outright told to me either. It was always sort of present in the way they communicated about the activities that I did. You know, there was sort of a a choice out there for me to make. And I've long thought about choices. And one of the things I talk about, you know, in my book, Honest to Greatness, is about what it honestly takes to succeed. You know, it's about honesty, right? And one of those things is is thinking long-term and having an outlook about why am I, why am I doing this? Um, and is it because I want to have fun? Well, in that case, how do I have the most fun? Or is it because I want to be the best? And in which case, how do I become the best? Um, I think so many folks don't have that deliberateness about their lives and end up in a place where they look around and say, how did, how did I get here? I didn't choose this. And they're exactly right. They, they failed to choose. So would you call that, I mean, something I, I like to talk about in, in my travels and in front of leaders is this definitive purpose, right? A very defined purpose that, that in, in your, whether it's your business, your family life, right? Your personal, your, your, uh, your, your, your personal life, whatever, right? I mean, if you have a definitive purpose and you're focused on it, and it's simply, it can't be something too complicated that you want to be able to think about it every day. You want to be able to strive for it every day, talk, tell people about it, right? Um, mm-hmm. Is that kind of the same lines in your opinion? Yeah. Yeah. I think definitely so. And, and, uh, and what, what's, uh, what was the first business you've got, you got into and tell us about that and what, what, uh, inspired you to start the first one? Uh, well, what inspired me to start is I'm a pain in the ass and nobody wants me to work for them. Like, trust me, I'm the person that, and then my teachers all hated me because I was the one who questioned everything. I was like, why do we do it like that? That's not efficient. Or why, why don't we learn about this? That would be much more useful. And they're like, shut up kid. You know, um, which, you know, looking back that, that was sort of the, the seeds of, of being my own boss. Right. It was like, I always had the mentality, uh, the ego driven mentality, I might add that I can do this better. So when I got out of uh, school, I had the fortuitous timing of it being 2008. Uh, and I had actually gotten out to help my then boss grow a chain of figure skating retail stores. You know, we, we, came out of that industry. We knew it well. And uh, I had spent my, my high school and some college years, uh, you know, I, I had always worked since the time of 15. So I was working, of course, uh, in the industry. And we had this big expansion plan to go from four stores to across the country. And then the rug got pulled out from under us. And we were left with, you know, we used to have 180 days in payables. Now we have zero. Uh, nobody wanted to extend credit. I mean, you guys know it was a mess. Yeah. So we did the only logical thing that 
two entrepreneurs in that situation would do, which is we went and uh, shot a pilot for a television reality show about figure skating. <laughs> that was our, this makes sense. This, this, we should do this, right? How do we get more people into figure skating? It, reality TV, duh, right? Um, and so we immediately went tens of thousands of dollars into debt shooting a pilot for a reality television show. By the way, guys, you don't need to shoot a pilot in order to go pitch a reality television show. It's a complete waste of time. It's not how it's done. We didn't know that at the time. And uh, we kept going to production companies to introduce the idea. And they were like, yeah, but like figure skating, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's the most watched Olympic sport, but mm, we were like, hello, dancing with the stars, ballroom dancing. Nobody gives a shit about ballroom dancing. It sucks. And look how popular that is. So yeah. What are we, so, but anyway, we, no matter how much we, we pointed to it and tried, it would not get picked up. So then we were stuck uh, in debt and, you know, now it's like 2009 and we said to ourselves, well, maybe we should like go make money, like real, like, you know, real business owners. And so we took the team we had built to shoot the pilot and said, why don't we go do video production? Um, and that was a decent idea because YouTube was just coming online and businesses were trying to struggle to figure out like, how do I use this thing called YouTube? And so we started shooting videos. And when I tell you guys, we started like at the bottom, we started at the bottom. We were shooting $800 television commercials for local car dealers, which is exactly as glamorous as it sounds. And I just remember thinking to myself like, wow, if we could only get more of these like we'll be rich, right? Like $800. And like, you know, listen, I, I went in undergrad, every elective I could study was in the business school. I should have probably done more math than business. Cause if I had stopped to do the math, I would realize that was a stupid plan and it would never work. So we event, you know, we spent years, like three, four years, like collecting all these little bit clients and that, and then finally got the chance to pitch a bigger piece of business. Cause what happened is we were doing video production is we were getting hired by other marketing agencies and we figured out pretty quickly that these marketing agencies were terrible. I mean, they, they overcharged, they missed deadlines, strategies weren't that good. They didn't care about clients. And of course me being me, I was like, well, we can do that better. Right. Um, so my business partner and I were like, we should just be a full service agency. So whoop, boom, overnight. Now we're a full service agency. Look at us. <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we, we got the opportunity to pitch a piece of business and landed our first, uh, first million dollar client. And that really set us up for a, a good four or five year growth trajectory. That was what year? That was in 2012, 2013. Okay. And then, uh, and what have you done since then? Where are you at? What do you look like today? So let me give you the, the shortest story I can. So at our height, we were four offices, three in the US, one in Canada, with clients all around the world, tons of employees. And we lost a million dollar client and we had to do some layoffs, right? Which is very common in the agency business. But through that time, I figured out a lot about myself. And one of the things I figured out is that I don't particularly like to have four offices, three in the US, one in Canada, tons of employees and clients around the world. I actually, that, that wasn't the definition of success for me. And it was a real struggle to figure that out. You know, talk about getting honest with yourself. The, the reason I wrote this book, guys, is because I was not honest with myself. I had to learn the power of this stuff. And you know, I, I was never really comfortable in those roles. Like I didn't love managing people, but I didn't want to admit it because I had done it. I had built an Inc. 5000 multi-million dollar operation. Shouldn't that be incredible? Like that's success, right? But that's not success for me. Like success for me is sitting at home doing this kind of stuff. I don't want to manage people. I don't even want to put pants on. You know what I mean? Like coronavirus for me, fantastic. You know, not complaining. I get to sit at home, get to do my thing. Um, and that was a real, like a real awakening and a shock to me to learn about myself. Um, so, you know, I still own that company, still does very well, but we are a little more diligent about who we work with um, and who we don't. And, and we've restructured the entire business. You know, the entire way that we go about doing business is, is different, more deliberate, right? You know, though I never made choices growing our company. We took what was available and we spun sure. that into the next thing and, and down the path we went until we got to a place like we talked about earlier and realized, ah, this isn't all, this isn't all that good. What's funny is I had a conversation with another agency owner about five months ago. He's a fellow author writing a book comes out in September and he was uh, the last time I saw him was like years ago in Chicago and he was just building his agency. 
And he literally told me his entire story. It was the same thing as I got all these employees and all these guys. And then I was like, this sucks. I don't want to do this. And they fired all the employees. <laughs> Seems to be a kind of a common thing. I don't know. But uh, I was like, man, we should have each uh, talked to each other when we were 25. But here's the thing, guys. If someone had told me at 25 that that was going to happen, I would have told you you're full of crap. So sometimes we just need to learn for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, um, bigger's not always better. And I mean, when you build a business, it's very common in my my case and so many friends of mine, where you know, you're you're doing business for everybody and anybody that that that, that asks you to, right? In many cases, you're even negotiating to to do it for prices that you're going to lose money doing it, right? Mm. When you when you're when you're young in business, it's like you every every dollar you think matters, and 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 revenues are the are the driving factor. And employees, why man? Look at how many look at the revenues we're doing. Look at the amount of employees we got. How cool is this, right? But in the long run, you're doing business with everybody, and and so eventually, when you get a little more more mature in business, I think you eventually say, "Boy, I got I got to figure out what I'm doing wrong because the profits aren't where they should be." Or, "Boy, I'm I'm risking losing everything because I'm I've got a lot of bad customers or bad or teammates that don't understand." How to, how to do profitable business, right? Mm -hmm. And so eventually, I think you, you whether it's a 80 20 rule that you that you you know take up or you know uh, an EUS system or some type of system, you read some books and you say, oh my gosh, I don't have to be this crazy. I don't have to be this out of control. I can actually you know I can actually take great you know look for great customers, not do business with everybody, and be a heck of a lot happier, right? Yeah. Uh, you know. I can look for great teammates and, 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 and get rid of the ones that don't really care to be here. They're just here for a check. And boy, wouldn't that be fun? Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that, I think that uh, if, if people start early on with that attitude, maybe way further ahead than those start that start like I did, where I, I, I did business with everybody, anybody um, didn't care if they paid me in, in, uh, in a day or a year, didn't value them any more or less. Right. Yeah. Um, so either way, I think you went through that. It sounds like, you know, if you, you dive a little deeper, if you want to, what, what made you change that? And then how did you change it? You know, did you use any business principles to do that or what? Um, I just really dove into one of my top core values, which is lifelong learning. You know, at the time, um, you know, getting into the Inc. 5000 for a couple of years in a row, like we had access to, to that conference. I joined EO and that, you know, now I'm an EO board member. So, you know, that organization has been transcendental, right? The whole forum. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the OYPO and their forum. Very, very, very. I'm, I've been in YPO for 17 years now. Perfect. My son... My son was in EO. He's now in YPO, but I think he's still in EO also. Good friends in EO, and, and, and of course, lots of friends in YPO. But yep. I think it's, it makes it's it's a it's a big it's an unfair advantage, in my opinion, to belong to those organizations if you actually dive in and, and participate. Oh, I I totally agree. And those situations, getting in rooms with other entrepreneurs who are much smarter than I was, really gave me a lot of different perspective. I mean, I, I remember, you know, one, one of my first uh, forum meetings, one of my new forum mates at the time, this was four or five years ago now, was like, oh, you know, I, I don't have any employees. I would never want employees. And I was like, what do you mean you don't want to, you can just not have employees. What does that even mean? Like, you had a multi-million dollar business, zero employees, 100% happy. And I was like, you can even do that. I mean, just, just like realizing that there are so many of these ways to build a business is fascinating. I went back to school. I went, you know, I had built a million dollar company. Then I went to get an MBA at Columbia because I figured there was something I was missing. And boy, was I right. I mean, there were just so many fundamentals of business and profitability and scalability sure. and investability that I didn't even know. And here I was, you know, thinking, oh, wow, look at what I've done. Nothing, right? So, yeah, you know, that... Those types of things are what entrepreneurs get to do, right? We get to rip apart our business and rebuild it. We get the freedom of those choices, the freedom of learning and the freedom of having to become an expert at so many things. And I think that's a gift that many founders don't understand how to receive. I didn't, you know, and then, and then capitalize on, take advantage of. Yeah. Good point. Good points for sure. And, and, and you know, sometimes you become a, you know, an employee in your business and that's okay. Right. But if that's all you want is a job. Right. But, but if you can look outside, think outside the business, at a, at a, you know, 10,000, 50,000 foot level, right. now you can look outside at how do you create this enterprise with, with real enterprise value that then becomes uh, an engine to create value, not just to yourself, stockholders and, and your teammates. Right. If you're stuck in the business and you are very often when you build it, like we talked about initially, right. Um, 
boy, it's hard to get out of that. And, and it's hard to duplicate because you, you really can't duplicate because you, you don't have the right customers to duplicate. You don't have the right team members in the process to duplicate. But, That's right. but you know, I, 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 and I, I love what you're, you know, your friend, I've, I've got a couple of friends like this also that, that, that I'm like, man, that'd be cool. Right. I mean, I, I like people a lot and I, and I like my teammates a lot, but, uh, but boy, my, I have friends like you with, with no, no employees at all. They're pretty happy people and they do yeah. really well. Yeah. And so it's, again, I'm not saying that's for me cause I'm okay with, you know, having a great, you know, bunch of teammates in these businesses and all that. And, 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 and I think it's fun to, to, to provide opportunity for people to, to, you know, get in the first rung of the ladder in a business and, and work their way to the top rung and with great success and potentially equity and all the other things that can come along with, with, with people that really kick butt in, in, in every aspect of their career. Right. It's fun to see that happening underneath your, your watch. But, but uh, again, there's something to be said for those that, are, that, that run great businesses and they outsource, you know, 99% of what they do and, and they, and they still deliver an amazing product. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And, and not, you know, I actually still have a team uh, at my agency and it's incredible. I would hire every single one of them again tomorrow if I could. And I think that is the difference. I'm super proud to be able to say that phrase that I'd mm-hmm. hire them all back. I think that's one of the things I try to instill in the entrepreneurs I work with now, because if the answer is no, I wouldn't hire them. You know, if they left tomorrow, that's a big problem. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Robbie, you, you, you know about that, right? I mean, think about it. You know, the people around us that we're like, and we don't have many, I don't think the Raven group either, but, but they're out there where they're, boy, they're not bad people maybe, but, but they, they're, they're not, uh, they, they, don't, they don't think with an abundant mind to, to, to be the most value they can be. When I, when I think about this, I think about if all, I know for sure when I was a kid mowing lawns and, and doing the things I did as a young person to make money. And then when I had my first job at four bucks an hour, you know, I, I knew for sure if I was a value on a day-to-day basis, I would watch what's going on around me. I'd work really hard. And, and in my mind, I'd say, was I worth more than four bucks an hour today? Right. And, and I, and you know, maybe it's weird, but I, I've always thought that way in my life. And I know for sure when I first started in business, it was easy for me to understand, you know, what, what were we worth it to our, our, our customer, my dr- first driveway customer, or my par- first parking lot customer. Was I, was I worth the money they spent on the product I delivered? And if I wouldn't, I wouldn't be happy if I didn't think I was. And so I, I think that's, that's such a, it's a simple thing, but I'm a, I'm a simple minded guy. It's a simple thing, right? If you can always strive to be worth more than your pay, right? As an employee, as a starting employee, a minimum wage employee to a, to a high end executive, to a great entrepreneur that delivers great product to, that serves their customers. Well, you can always strive to deliver more than you're paid for you will have success, right? And that's kind of, kind of what you're, th- you're doing now. If you've got teammates and you look around and say, none of these people would I not hire all over again? Boy, you got a great company, right? Yep, absolutely. That's cool. Yeah, Peter, and I, so quick question along the exact same line. So I, I came from LinkedIn, actually. I spent four years with LinkedIn out in San Francisco and then in Chicago and cool. just before moving over to the Raybine Group. Um, so I'm always fascinated with hiring, onboarding, and how to retain top talent. Uh, so it seems like obviously that's really, really important to you recognizing some of your own personal traits and what you value. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm interested in sort of a framework or questions that you ask during an interview process that help you weed out and mitigate the risk of maybe not hiring someone that two years later, you would still make the same decision. I have such a weird response to that question. I've never heard anyone else say it. So maybe I'm alone in this, but I don't feel qualified to figure out from an interview question or questions whether someone's going to work or not. So I'm a big fan of giving three people the job for three weeks. And in three weeks, I'll know pretty darn sure which one to Gary's exact point is going to be the one that thinks with the mentality and actually brings the work. I have found no better substitute than that. Interesting. Wow, that's cool. I, I don't know that uh, anybody I know does that, but I love it. I think it's cool. I mean, why, why, I mean, a lot of people are in a job, so it's tough to do that maybe for us, but, um, I, but I like the idea, right? I mean, how, how cool would that be, Robbie, right? If you can give three people a job and, and, and the one that performs the most, the one that, that you, can, you can see meshes with your culture the best, it's no brainer. But, and not many people do that. So that's, that's, an, that's an original thought. I'm sure somebody does it somewhere that you learned it from, but boy, that's cool. But can you do it? I mean, I think it can. If you don't, if everybody you're interviewing doesn't have a job currently, yes, of course, right? 
Yeah. Right. And then I think also when, when you are giving those individuals the opportunity, it's a two-way street. And at the same time, it's a realistic job preview for them. Maybe they see after three weeks, it's not exactly what they assumed the opportunity was going to entail. And, and at the end of the day, you want to make sure that both parties are enjoying where they're at. Yep. Uh, but I also think that there's a way that you can apply that when it comes to talent that's already been onboarded and making sure that really the career path that they have internally is really along the right lines for them for the long term. Um, and I think it goes back to what you were mentioning earlier, Peter, is how do you define success for yourself? And then how can you map that definition of success to your long-term career? Uh, so do you guys have some sort of career development uh, program in place uh, that really aligns with performance management and getting them to the right long-term goals? You know, I, I wish we were all that sophisticated, Robbie. I mean, we really want folks to come and see GEM as an umbrella. You know, we very seldom even give people much more than a loose framework of how we would like them to do their job. We do with our people like our clients do for us. Here's the goal. Here's what we're trying to achieve. Figure out the best, most efficient way to get there. And we're here if you need us. So I actually write about in my book that like the managers who succeed the best, you know, with the most honest approaches and leaders in the book, they're really coaches. They're really responsible for, for two things. One, empowering the, the line, right? The, the people that they manage with all the tools and information and insights and time and resources they need to go do a good job. And then number two, is to get the hell out of their way and just be there when they have questions, when they need guidance, when they, so often, so often we get the reverse, you know, this, the, the command and control style, the, I need to justify my middle management job and make it look like I'm doing something, but well, you are doing something by letting your people do their jobs. <laughs> you know, and I write about what, what that means, what that, I call it a waterfall culture, you know, and, and I tell the story of the Ritz Carlton and how they invent, you know, not invented it, but they used it to become one of the best, most incredible hospitality brands in the world. And I don't think that goes, that, that's sad enough uh, out there. I mean, I, and I have to say the bigger the clients are, I mean, we've worked with a couple fortune 500s now and my Lord, the bigger those cultures are, the more BS, is tucked up inside all of those layers that just simply prevents innovation ideas from moving throughout the organization. And it's, it's sad. It was shocking to me when I came out of school and saw it and now I'm just sad. So I did something and wrote a book about it. Yeah. It's like, it's like keep, keep politics in politics, right? Don't bring it into my business or any yeah. business. And I think that happens way too often. And, you know, oh. again, great, great politics in my opinion, great governance is, is run like a business, right? Efficient and, and streamlined. And there's not many that we can look at to say that that's being done, but, um, but in business, it's crazy that we let politics drive sometimes our decisions, right? And, uh, and, and it does happen. It's happened in our, our business as we've grown. Um, we've, we've, I think we're in a great space today. I don't think we have a lot of politics going on now. Although, you know, you, you're not gonna see it as the CEO as often as maybe you'd like, um, but either way, Hundred percent, man. Get rid of all the all the BS. And, and if you can, if you can allow your 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 leaders to lead and, and actually make decisions with a with, with a here's our goal. Here we got you know. Let me know if you need help getting there. But but on the way, you know, you know, share with me all you want or as little as you want. Got to get to the goal. And this is a you know one month goal. Okay, here's the here's a six month goal. Here's a one year goal. And man, it's pretty cool when when you when you when somebody accomplishes those those short term long term goals for you. And, and you're just there, the ball, they're bouncing things off you, right? You're the coach, which is pretty yep. cool. Yep. And it's their system and they're invested in the system and they own the system. And it, in my opinion, there's nothing better. That's, that's a great, that's a great point. Um, so tell, tell us about your businesses. So you got the advertising agency. What else do you have? Yep. So we have a little plaything tech startup called Stradesso that we, uh, we only have a minimum viable solution for it, but it is up and live at stradesso.com. And essentially it's a talent aggregator. So what we found is that there are a lot of, uh, folks out there, you know, leaders and organizations that need to get content done, right? Copywriting, graphic design, but they don't want to hire people, right? They have to, it's a stupid thing to have to go through an HR problem to get a finished like flyer or, bro or brochure or business card, right? And like even Upwork and Fiverr, you still have to sift through 
all these things and look at the designs and look at the copy and vet it and then hire the person and manage the person. So we stripped all of that out. So on Stradesso, it functions like an e-commerce site. You go and buy your flyer and you check out and you go through all the prompts. Like we would ask you as an agency, you know, go through the creative brief. We connect it to folks that are available and vetted through our system. They turn it around and back to you. Nothing on that platform is above $300 and the turnaround 72 hours. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, we just literally floated out and had a couple test cases. I don't know if it's going to be a great business or not, but I'm a big fan of, I don't know. So I'm just going to test stuff. You know, it's how I've always been. I, I think having studied the cultures in my book, I can tell you that the ones who take that approach, like, I don't know, that's a good idea. Let's just try it and see. Those are the ones that of course get to the great ideas. So I've become a lot more humble and honest about that. Yeah. personally. Yeah, 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 and uh, you know, so often, so often, uh, so often, people will will take years and years to come to actually uh, a, a, they'll have an idea for years and years. They think about it and they're modifying it and they're redoing it, and and three four years later they're ready to launch. And then, oh man, I don't think it's perfect yet, right? And yeah. so you know, the enemy to good is perfect, right? And, yeah. and so often, it, I find that with engineering minds and. Uh, accounting minds, you know, people that are, that are very organized thinkers, hard for them to stomach putting something on the market that's not perfect or they don't think it's perfect. Well, you're going to lose every day if that's your mentality as an entrepreneur, right? Totally. You got to get I've the product out there. Been. No, I mean, I, I'm not either, but, 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 but people around me are always, always are, and I'm not always, very often are. And, and, and I think that's so important to push and push and say, just get it in the market. We're going to tell our customers honestly, right? As yeah. you say, very honestly, that, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to build this and customize this for them. Right. And no risk to them for the first X months. And once we launch it, you know, they're, they're going to be a, they're going to be a great valued partner that, that helped us get to market. And we're going to reward them with lower costs maybe. Right. And we're going to save them money with this product. So again, you know, that's, a, that, that, that's an, that's an idea or that's the, that's the um, strategy in my opinion that gets great companies to market fast. Agreed. Instead of stagnation, that sometimes stops stops a good idea ever getting to market, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Uh, yeah. So that's cool. I like that. I like that idea. No, so you're saying that okay, um, you're saying if I have an event somewhere and I need some marketing fast, right? I need some marketing in, in a week. Um, you, you, I can get. I throw all the all the ideas out there, and um, and uh, strat. What do you what do you call it? strategy? Stradesso. Stradesso. Stradesso or Stradesso? Stradesso. S-T-R-A-D-E-S-O. Wait, hold on. S say S-T-R-A. Yeah, S-T-R-A-D-E-S-O. Stradesso. Okay, so your Stradesso could actually do all the work, the art, artwork and all that kind of stuff, get it done within a, a short period of time. And then right. you could spit that off to your, your local sign company, whatever, um, or your digital, your digital marketing company and, and spit out the, the marketing for it. Right. That's right. That's cool. I like it. I got, I got one for you that we can do after this call if you want to, so you know, cool. Uh, I've got, I've got, uh, yeah, so I've got, I've got a, an idea that I think is very, very marketable that if, if in speaking in front of a group of people, I don't want to use, uh, I want this to be used for outside events without, without any type of screens and stuff like that. Right. Or anywhere without the screen. So simply, you know, here's, here's, here's the backdrop of this, 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 uh, messaging and here's a backdrop of this other messaging and between the two of those if you understand these two this, these, this, this, these messages you'll come to a conclusion that i think is paramount right so that's something I should, i'll talk to you about if, if i can afterwards i think it's cool. be, it could be interesting okay so what, what other businesses so i was in real estate for gosh eight years but literally the pandemic had me sell everything because prices <laughs> have been so good it's been such a seller's market um, we're at what, what area in connecticut Okay. Yep. So the, the, the market's gone up because of the pandemic? Oh, it's nuts here. I mean, people are buying houses sight unseen. Why? <laughs> I, think, I think we're getting the influx from New York. Yeah. Uh, I think people are moving uh, okay. out of the city and into the burbs. And we're, I mean, I can see New York from my patio, so we're not that far here. But uh, yeah, so exited out of those, which is good because it turns out marketing a new book is not cheap. So I was able to, you know, move some stuff around and um, awesome. yeah, we'll, we'll get back into it. But now we've, my wife and I have always wanted to go like south, we're looking like palm trees. So I said to her, why don't we just rent here and go buy another, you know, a flip or something in Florida. So we're, we're thinking about it. Awesome. 
Yeah, and your, and your taxes are high there in Connecticut? Uh, you could say that. Yeah, I would say mm -hmm. yes, that. That's an understatement, I would say. Real, real estate taxes are, are they 2 or 3% of the value? Everything is. Everything is. About well, 2 to 3%. What, what is the percentage of value, do you know? I'm not sure, no. Okay. Yeah, because Illinois is the highest right now. We just, I think we just nudged out New Jersey as it was the highest. Wow. But, uh, but either way, it's amazing that properties are selling well and your taxes aren't that low, but probably less than New York anyway. Yeah, right? no, totally. Cool. Okay, so real estate. So you're in just like flipping properties, that kind of stuff. Yep, we've had we've done flips, we've done condo rentals, we've done three families. Yeah. So that's, so that's another that's another uh, little entrepreneurial endeavor. Yeah, I treat them as little businesses, you know, which which I think is sort of fun and um, fun to watch. Like now, I've so I've come from 2008, I mean, which is when I got out of college, through all that bull market, and now seeing what ha happened with you know this year. So I'm getting a sense of the timing, which is nice. So I would say you know investing in my 20s was luck, and now going forward, I'll have a little bit more of like an awareness of you know whether <laughs> whether market's going up, down, or whatever. Um, sure. So, but the, yeah, that's a fun. But I think everyone should should understand how real estate works. And I, I wish upon folks that they would think more critically about their home and how their home can function much more like a business instead of like a sunk, you know, ego driven cost. Mm. Um, in fact, yeah. I think, I think that my next book will be centered around like, how do you live and think about all the areas of your life? Like a business would think about the areas of its life, um, mm. you know, and, and create, you know, profit, so to speak, and, and whatever happiness, fulfillment, income, retirement savings, whatever you want to call it. So I don't think enough people understand that like their home, like my wife and I basically lived for free for like 12 years because we keep moving and flipping and investing. And that's a powerful idea. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and there's, and like you're saying, anything, the, the, the benefit of building a profitable entity of any type is, is that you know, hopefully you're able to do more good stuff with it. And I look at, you know, friends of mine and that, that, you know, we, we participate in some nonprofits through our foundation and all that. And, and very often nonprofits, uh, you know, just think about how they can spend money and, and not really how they can create more income. Right. Cause it's, it's almost like um, an oxymoron to say, we're going to make any profit. But really, uh, a nonprofit, if it makes profit, if it can make profit to reinvest in the nonprofit, that's the best of all worlds, right? Of course. Mm -hmm. and, and very, very seldom does it happen because people are in nonprofits because they're proud of not, of not being part of that evil thing called profits. And, yeah. and, they don't, and some of them don't get it, but the only way that really they survive is somebody's profits, right? I couldn't and agree boy, more. If in your nonprofit, you can actually create some, you know, produce something that creates value, Boy, you got profits. Don't call them profits. Don't do that, right? But profits <laughs> that can actually keep the, the wheel spinning, right? And and, and uh, the engine 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 going. So again, I, I, I agree with you. You can you can have fun and create an enterprise out of anything. And uh, and, and I think you, it's 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 the should be the driving force of any team to, to be successful. And successful one way to measure, of course, is profits to reinvest in the engine to be more successful. Totally. Uh, so yes, entrepreneurship is a blast. What 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 is your what are your biggest niches now? Think about think about your your marketing company now and the marketing company in the future that that you have today. What what do you feel like is your your biggest niches that you're successful and your strongest differentiators that, that are going to create your success for tomorrow? Yeah, I mean one of the things we're doing at the agency is helping particularly manufacturing companies figure out how to do this whole online thing because these are folks that went and hung out at the trade show bar and did $5 million in, of deals and they can't do that anymore. So mm -hmm. now they're all sitting around wondering like, you know, that V word virtual, virtual trade show, like doesn't compute. Um, now, you know, I'm 34, so I'm looking at it as why would anybody get on a plane and go to Chicago? And I mean, I listen, I love the Gibson steak as much as anyone else, but you know, it, there, there are so many other things we can do online and in a scalable, predictable, measurable way. So it's actually been fun to work with some manufacturing companies and help them understand like, what is a virtual trade show booth? How can your website actually be a virtual trade show booth? Um, so, so that's been great. Um, and I like that. Yeah. I like, I like that. That's great. And then uh, Gibson's are friends of mine, actually. What a great, what a great they really? joint. And oh, great. I love that place yeah. so much. What a great restaurant. Actually, uh, Steve, Steve, I want to get on the, the, the uh, there's Steve, Steve Sr. and Steve Jr. Steve Sr., they're both, they're both YPRs. And Steve's about uh, 45, I think. And what a great guy. His dad also great people. 
uh, and they're and they're you know just just very strong entrepreneurs in the in the, in the food you know food and beverage world. Yeah. And in Chicago right now, it's a tough place to be, of course, as you probably know. And they're still you yeah. know they're still figuring it out when it's not easy, right? But, but I'm gonna get them on the show eventually. But again, that's quite a brand, right? They created a brand. You come to Chicago, you gotta go to Gibson's, right? Yeah, and um, I do you know, every time. That's something. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, but either way, okay, so so you think about virtual trade shows, I agree. I think that I, we've not, Robbie, I don't think we've ever done it, right? But I think that's an awesome idea to build your site like a virtual trade show. And then, boy, why not even, you know, do virtual trade shows, right? Get them, uh, help, help get those revved up and going. Yep. Any, any experience with those, Robbie? We haven't yet. Uh, ironically, actually, this afternoon, I'm having a conversation with uh, RE Journals in regard to joining in on a virtual trade show that they have in September. So I think that'll be our first endeavor, uh, at least partaking in it ourselves. But I also, I, I also think there's ways we could apply it internally. So, so Peter could help us probably uh, be a little stronger in that virtual trade show than us trying to do ourselves. Huh? Yeah, be a lot of fun. It's not rocket science, but it really takes thinking through the physical process. It's like someone walks up to your booth. What do they see? Why do they walk in? What do you say to them? How do you build a relationship? You know, it's, it's that simple. And also of course that complicated once you put it into, you know, scripts and videos. And so we could, we could probably have Robbie dressed up a little, little sexier than, than today, you know, somehow we can, we can virtually do something that pretty him up a little bit. You're thinking. I was thinking like a sandwich board and then like, you know, one of those like crazy feather hats, like something in that direction. All right, there you go. Okay, thanks. So we'll go, Robbie. Remember that we we don't have to, we don't have to pay Peter for that now. We, yep. We'll get Robbie. Else. You're welcome. Yep. Yes, yeah. I should I should have just turned on voice dictation on Amazon quick and had it ordered already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's interesting. I, I, I you know I I've know that I've I've not been involved in any virtual uh, trade shows yet, but boy, there I'm sure they're going to get to be very popular. So that, it's that's it's coming. And even if we think that we're going to go back to in person, it will at least continue to be hybrid. I think forever. Yeah. I mean, why not? You know? Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree. That's cool. What, what else do you see for the future? What, what do you look at? You know, what's, what's your, uh, you know, big audacious goals or, or your, um, you know, your, what, what do you, what do you look at as, as your uh, definitive purpose and, and where you, we're going to go. Any kids or anything, wife and kids yet? Wife, yes. Uh, oversized dog. Yes. Kids. No. Um, <laughs> you know, my, my biggest, uh, goal now for the next four years, literally, I was just talking about this uh, last night with my wife is I have peer groups for entrepreneurs, um, typically entrepreneurs from like startup, startup to 5 million or so in revenue who can't, you know, I mean, the, the bigger ones, of course, they could just go into EO, right. But under a million, there's nothing for them. Um, so, you know, one of the things I have done is brought all the benefits of, of forum that you know about down to the startup entrepreneurs. And that program is changing lives. I have a little, little under 20 people in the program now, and I would like to impact a thousand startup entrepreneurs with that program, just because of how life changing it is. I mean, you, I don't have to explain to you, Gary, I mean, just a life changing program. Absolutely. I, I love it. You know, we have a thing called true mentors. It's very similar to that. We have about 50 some CEOs and presidents, you know, YPO, EO members and stuff that are mid-sized businesses that, that are mentoring young people that want to be leaders in business or maybe they're startup, startup, small startups themselves. So it's startups, it's leaders that want to be executives and all that being mentored by people that have been there and done it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we build the, the platform much like you probably do sharing experiences, not telling people what to do, right. Yep. All the right, all the right structure of what forum should be and all the right, um, all the right mentorship traits that we ask for so that, you know, you know, I mean, mentorship can be really bad if it's somebody telling somebody what to do and somebody listening and doing what somebody, what somebody's telling them to do instead of sharing experiences and letting that person do what they feel is best for them. Right. Mm -hmm. um, with no skin in the game, basically. Yep. So yeah, that's all that you're, so you're doing something that will affect many lives. And, and we, we're, we're having some pretty good stories of people that have, you know, have done some really incredible things through this, this program yeah, for about six or seven years now. Wow. That's um, but, awesome. but anyway, it's, it's a lot of fun, right? When you can, when you can structure, you give somebody the structure and, and the leadership, leadership um, traits maybe, or, or experiences that can help propel them. Uh, it's fun. That's what it's all about. You know, and, and uh, have you, you always been in Connecticut, always been on the East coast. Always been East coast. My wife says I'm, I'm an East coast guy. I think she's making fun of me, but I'm not sure how, um, I grew up in Boston though. So I grew up in Boston, went to undergrad there and did an MBA in New York. And so now I'm here in Connecticut. We started our companies here, 
which, um, you know, because my wife is from here, so that's why I moved down. Turns out, though, um, that was a blessing because we were able to rise up in, you know, New Haven, Connecticut. Nobody's in New Haven. Nobody gives a crap about New Haven. So we didn't have to compete against Mullen Lowe in Boston and every yeah. Madison Avenue agency in New York. So it was a gift of sorts. Cool. Yeah, I've heard great things about that area. It's beautiful. It, it, there are parts. What, so what else do you like to do? What other, what other uh, things do you like to do to, to, as far as competitively or, you know, you're a competitive competition guy as a young guy, what do you yeah, do to compete? Just business or what? Uh, now I'm just fat and lazy. It's really a problem. I was uh, lamenting this the other day that like, I like retired Peter plays a lot more golf and a lot more tennis. So I think I need to retire a little faster. Um, I did martial arts through my mid twenties. Now I just watch Netflix, which are not compatible with one another. So <laughs> it, it, that's a, that's a problem. That's an area of my life that I've, I've not focused on is because honestly guys like this book has taken every like everything out of me it's been a four-year masochistic journey of inexcellence and um it, you know now that that literally it's uh two weeks ago that i just published it so i can actually feel like the catharsis of like okay there's like a downhill slope after the uphill climb uh, that so that I'm, I'm really looking forward to this fall and being able to clear my head and focus on some other things Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, and that's the thing. And you're a young kid. So you're, you know, you've experienced a lot of stuff for a young guy. Now it's a matter of saying, okay, what, what, you know, what's, what's the next 10 years going to be like, right? How do, how do I exactly. try to be the best, best I can be in the next 10 years, yeah. right? Next six to seven. For, for, I don't know if I'm going to work past 40. I mean, come on. Yeah. There's too much golf to play out there. I thought that too. You ever, you ever want to golf at a real golf course? I got one out here. Okay. So come to, come to Illinois. I got the best golf course in the, in Deal. the Midwest. I love it. Yeah. So, all right, hey, hey, Robbie, what do you got? Any more questions? Any more questions for Peter or uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts, buddy? I do actually. Uh, going back to Stradesso, I really like the idea of that. And I think it reduces the friction that's in the, uh, like you mentioned, the Fiverr or Upwork or whatever uh, other tools are out there. So I guess my, it's double layered question. First layer is, was the original hypothesis on your end reducing the friction and streamlining the process of getting to the, the client, what ultimately they need without as much investment in time. And then the second question that will go along with it is an interest if you guys have actually brainstormed applying that exact same mentality, but internally for uh, utilizing your own employees to their ultimate potential. So yes to both. I mean, we, we have talked about, so yes, the initial insight came out of the frustration and ever shrinking bug budgets of, of marketing departments and even in-house marketing departments really don't have a good way to scale talent. Um, they do it by having all these outsourced relationships, but then somebody has to manage the relationships and it, uh, it always came back to an HR problem. Um, so that, that was the insight. And then, yeah, I mean, pretty much that's what we have. We have a small team, a small core team at Gem and everything else is outsourced on on a similar system um that's sort of how we we all of that sort of coalesced at once it was like oh we could use this probably other agencies could use this um clients could certainly use this so yeah yeah and part of the way that i'm actually envisioning that you could include it as an add-on would be hypothetically it's the ray buying group and we have a need that's within operations or estimating or maybe it's sales and marketing uh, and you can post it as the equivalent of like a, an sow like a statement of work what are you looking for and that post then is sent out company-wide and maybe there's someone else internally that has an extra half hour or an hour during the week and you can utilize your own talent to actually absorb a project and on the other end they could click a button that offers them the ability to say, yes, I'll take ownership on this project and here's the date, I'll return it back to you. Uh, and then at the same time, if no one internally is able to take it, you have all of the individual contractors externally that could absorb the project. That's exactly, you, you must appear back at our code. That's exactly how the system works. Literally, nice. it looks like a message board. You know, all the projects go up and people can select them and claim them and then they get their countdown timer and, and yeah, it's, it's exactly right. Nice. No, it's a brilliant idea. I know we had that at LinkedIn too. So if I ever had free time, I could go to, it was a go link, but go slash. And I think it was like special projects or it's not the exact term, but every department internally would just have projects that they were looking for someone to absorb. And you could just check a box that said, I'm willing to do this work in my free time and, and take on the project yourself. And it's a, it's an interesting opportunity to ultimately build out a, a more depth or even breadth to your skill sets. And it's advantageous for your long-term careers as long as you're a lifelong learner. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, and it's so that it's gotten to the point where like now my business partner and I are like, okay, how do we bring this to market with a CAC to LTV ratio that makes sense? And I haven't quite wrapped my mind around it because getting someone in to try it right now costs so much relative to how much I think they'll spend at first. And it's a spotty thing, right? It's projects. So you may have a project now and then in six months. So we have to find a more appropriate way to ironically to, to advertise it. Um, so that's sort of where we're at trying to figure out what, and, and we've never raised money, right? So we would, but I'm sort of a, a bootstrap uh, purist. So that's, that's the other thing, right? That would be the easy thing. Go raise money and take a J curve. Right. Thinking about it. Cool. So, Seems like you got life figured out. Uh, oh no, no, no. That's a, that's a, remember I told you I have acting skills. That's the yeah. acting coming through. Yeah. No, no, nobody. One of the things I, I make sure I say on, on these podcasts is nobody, nobody has their shit figured out. Nobody, you know, we're all searching for the next thing. We're all struggling with whatever we all have challenges. We all uh, like, I hate this thing where people are like, Oh, well that I heard that guy on the podcast and he hasn't figured out. And I guess I need to be more like him. It's like, no, be more like you. That's, that's fine. That's enough. It's always enough. Yeah, as soon as you think you haven't figured out, then uh, God will throw you a curveball and it, it's all up in the air. Not every time. Re- every out. time, Gary, that I was like, all right, well, this is all good, right? I got everyone's set up and we're making money in this. Boom. Terrible thing happens. And every time I've been like, oh my gosh, we're going to go out of business. Like we're never going to make it. It's like, oh, well, there's a client out of nowhere. That was weird. I've just learned to like, it's, it's I don't know if you guys know the proverb of the, the, the horse and the horseshoe and the war and all. Have you ever heard that one? No. I think so. It's uh, oh no no it's not that one it's the other one about the uh, the farmer and the horse yeah so a, a farmer and his son lived on, on a mountain in in China you know years and years and years ago and uh, a ho- they a horse wandered into their stable and they didn't have a horse so now they had a horse and all the neighbors came over and they were like you have a horse that's amazing how how lucky and the farmer said yeah may- maybe maybe it's good maybe it's bad I don't know. Um, and so, you know, a few, few weeks go by and the horse actually breaks through the fence that they had built and runs away. And the neighbors are like, Oh my God, that, that's horrible. I can't believe that. And the farmer's like, Oh, maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. I, I don't know. Not one night later, the horse comes back and brings three more horses with it. And all the neighbors are like, this is incredible. You're the luckiest guy in the world. The heck. And he goes, eh, maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. I don't know. So the son, he says, oh, now we've got four horses. I'm going to train them, right? But in training the horse, the horse throws him off his back and the son breaks his leg. And the neighbors come over and they said, this is horrible. How are you going to tend your fields? I mean, your son's leg is broken. He can't help you. He said, I don't know. Maybe this is good. Maybe this is bad. I don't know. And a week later, the emperor's army came marching through the village, taking every able-bodied young man off to war. And so the son sitting at home, he couldn't fight. And the neighbor said, that's incredibly lucky. I don't know how you do it. And he said, finally, maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. I don't know. (laughs) And so I've learned to adopt that mentality now in business and life and what, because we just, we just don't know. You don't know. You're right. That's exactly right. So roll with the punches, right? That's right. You know, life isn't perfect, and, it, and as soon as you think you got it all figured out, you realize you don't, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And that's 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 the fun part of life. I mean, you be ready for be ready for what's thrown at you because you're going to have some challenge, big challenges in your life, and and when you get through those, you'll feel like at least you you've you know you you've won in some respect. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Yeah. So, that's it. On to the next thing. I agree. I agree. What do, you, what, what do you got? So, Robbie, we're going to we go over our takeaways. Robbie, what do you got for takeaways from our, from our, our all-star here, our buddy, Peter? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, so, Peter, we usually like to just summarize key points that our listeners can ultimately take away moving forward. And so I have five for today. Uh, That's a great first, practice. I've never been on a podcast that did that. It's really cool. Yeah, it's just a good synopsis that you can digest everything that we talked about today. Uh, so the first takeaway is to think long-term, but to think long-term under your own premises of success. So create a definition of success for yourself and then reverse engineer what you need to be doing today, five years from now, 10 years from now, but uh, making sure that you're inching towards whatever that uh, definition is of success for yourself. Uh, the second is don't do something half-assed. And I, I think it's an incredibly simple point, but an important point. And you need to make sure that you work with passion and 
and making sure that you're working with passion ultimately limits the amount of uh, individuals who half-ass their work. And as long as it's in line with their long-term career and definition of success, and I think you can call that a win. I have a feeling you probably get that in honest to greatness one way or another. You bet. Uh, the third is uh, constantly question status quo. Uh, how can we do it more efficiently? How can we do it more effectively? Um, in the moment that you take a, a seat, ultimately in the back seat, uh, and let the world pass you by, that's when you lose your innovative edge. So mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of questioning the status quo. And uh, I like the way that you positioned great leaders. So empower your team uh, with the tools, training, coaching, uh, materials, et cetera, uh, for success, and then get the hell out of the way and, and let them do their own thing, create their own process system. And, and then at the end of the day, everyone will likely do it differently. You can uncover best practices. And then that's how you guys come together as a team is sharing those best practices and improving in the future. Uh, and lastly, treat your life like a business. And I really think that that's important regardless of if you're a fresh grad from college and high school or, or even late stage career as making sure that you're optimizing for at the end of the day is if it's learning, go and tackle the new skills that you want to gain. If it's your retirement that you want to approach, then put together quantifiable metrics of what it is that you need to retire at what specific age and, and how you can map your life out to get there. So thanks today, Peter. It's my pleasure, guys. Thanks for being hey, honest. Peter. Yeah, Peter, thanks a lot. And uh, you know what? Honest to Greatness is an awesome title. I mean, I remember growing up, my mom and other people would say, Honest to Goodness, Honest to Goodness. I was like, why not Honest to Greatness? I love it, man. Great job. Yeah. Great title. Thank you. Thank and, you. And uh, so I appreciate that. I can't wait to read that. the book. Is, is it on uh, Audible yet? Uh, no, we just signed the contracts for that now. It's out in hardcover and ebook, and it'll be on Audible in probably November, December. Yeah, I'll have, I'll have time down the road to read, but, but lately it's all been audible for me. But either way, I, I got to read the read your book for sure. And I really appreciate you being on. So, uh, Peter, Peter Kazadoy, right? Kazadoy, right? You got it. I got it right. Peter Kazadoy, man, you're you're gonna kick butt and uh, and, and you're gonna you're gonna set the world on fire. Can't can't wait to continue to watch it. So, and if you're ever in Chicago, look us up. If I'm in Connecticut, I'm, Connecticut, I'm coming looking for you. And I'd also like to, I'm also going to look up uh, uh, Stradesso on this project I got too to find out if it's something you guys can do. So cool. Thanks for everything, man. You're Reach awesome. Out anytime, guys. It's great to hang. So yeah, thanks, thanks for being you. on. Thanks for uh, being on Ditch Digger CEO. See you, buddy. All right. Thanks, thanks a bunch. It was a pleasure. Thanks, thanks guys. That was great. Yeah, appreciate your time, bud. Sure. My pleasure. Hey, Peter. Hey, Peter. Let me tell you about that project really quick. You got five yeah. minutes? Um, so here's what it is. I, yep, I've got I the do. biggest, I've got the biggest Trump uh, rally in Illinois history probably coming up. You know, there's, there's not a lot, you know, Illinois is a very far left, kind of like Connecticut, I think, pretty far left area. Yeah. Um, and I, and, and I, I'm a, I'm a strong conservative and I, and I, and I really believe we're, we'll be in trouble with it if, if it's, if it's, if we have a Biden president. So I'm, I'm involved in doing what I can to help, help uh, push this, this, uh, this guy across the, uh, the finish line one more time. Anyway, so I got a, I got a Trump, Trump, uh, I got a Trump uh, thing coming up at my golf club and we're going to have 3000 to 5,000 people. Okay. And, and, but, but what I want to roll out is my goal is to turn Illinois red. So my goal is to Illinois is a very corrupt state where, where the, the, we have the most debt of any state by far in the, in the country. We've been democratic run 98% of the time for the last hundred years. Right. Hmm. And, uh, and it hasn't gotten us a lot of good. And, and, and again, I don't care, Democrat or Republican, we're a corrupt state and, and we need to clean it up. And the only way to clean it up, in my opinion, I've, I've got a plan I built for the last, you know, 10 months to a year now with some super smart people in the country. And I treat it like a business, right? If I'm in business, I want core values that, that, that really guide on who we, we pick for positions in our business. If I'm in business, I build the core values and the, and the initiatives that have to get accomplished. And then I build a team. I don't go out and say, this person's a perfect you know, politician. Let's bring him in. That person will be a perfect candidate for, for a congressman or woman or a senator or, or governor, right? So just like building a business, I, I, built, a, I built a seven, uh, well, in this case, seven initiatives that if done, would make Illinois a, a blue sky state with, with low debt and all these low debt and great opportunity, right? Lower taxes. And then, and, uh, but to do that also, just like business, we have to create simple messaging, just like your book, right? Simple messaging that, that, that grab people. So I have two things. I'm, 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 I've, I've, I've uh, trademarked a thing called tax theft, 
tax theft, and I'm defining it as any tax that's above the average of the country. So, it's, so if it's a little bit, 10 or 20%, we've got a misdemeanor, just a little bit more, we can get that back in line, right? And then we have, we have a felony, which is 20% to 80% more than the rest of the country. Yeah, that's a felony, that's serious, right? But then we have treason, okay? And then think about colors, yellow, red, and then flashing red, right, for treason, treason. Yeah. So 80% or more than the average of the country could be considered treason, right? Hang that freaking tax from the highest tree, murder that tax today, because it is screwing up and robbing and stealing from taxpayers in Illinois, right? Mm-hmm. So that's any tax over 80%. And when we measure the top 20, 20 uh, taxes in the country, we are, we are um, uh, any, we're treasonous more than we're felonies right now. And wow. we have only one or two misdemeanors where we're within, you know, five or 10% of the average of the country. And they're taxes that don't, either don't mean anything or they're kind of new taxes, okay? So anyway, that, that, that's so tax theft and a tax theft meter is the visual I want. So that I can set the meter. Let's just use property tax we talked about. The you know your your state I think is around two percent or two and a half percent is 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 what you pay in taxes based on value. So if you have a million dollar house, you're going to pay you know twenty twenty five thousand dollars a year in tax. In Illinois, you're going to pay thirty five to forty thousand dollars that same house in tax. Okay, wow. so we're the highest. But bottom line is when I look at this, the country the average is one point one percent or eleven thousand on a million dollars, right? 1.1%. Mm-hmm. So when I look at that tax step meter at 12 o'clock is the average of the country at that circular meter, 12 o'clock is the average of the country, 1.1%. So when we look at Illinois, we, we, the, the, the meter goes all the way to 185% on average more than the rest of the country, mm-hmm. right? That's freaking treason. Like in a big way, it's that you're killing the value of all these homes, of course, right? And, and, and ruining the net worth of all these people. This is that theft at the highest level. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, so think about that. Then, you know, then I, then I got, so you have that tax that you can measure any of the top 20 most important taxes that people think about gas tax, prop, uh, commercial property tax, um, income tax, whatever, all those, you can, you can put any of them up there on the average and then measure where you're at compared to the rest of the country and what type of theft is it, right? Is it actually treasonous? Is it whatever? Then you have on the other side, the other simple messaging piece I have, it's called worst to first. Okay. You're a leader in business and I am too. So what do we do? We, we try to get people to, to, we try to inspire people to be the best they can be. We, we try to inspire ourselves and our businesses to be world-class, right? We can't do that without inspiring people to have a vision beyond what they have today, okay? So I look at worst to first and I say, okay, we are the worst at like, almost, when I say worst, when the last five, you guys are in a couple of these categories too, by the way. Oh, I know. We're, we're, we are number 50 in more things than anybody else. When you measure the, the top 10 or 20 things that you measure when it comes to good state, bad state, state where you want to raise your kids and family, state where you want to have a job, an opportunity, a state where you want to have less violence and murder, okay? We are in the, in the bottom five of 50, so the bottom 10% in almost everything that measures good state, bad state. And we weren't there. Only 13 years ago, we were, we were one of the best states in the country to do business, buy property, on and on and on, right? Now we're the worst. And how did that, yeah. how did that happen? So worst to first is, an, is, a, is something that gets us to aspire to be better because we say, okay, we're worst at, let's use, um, let's use um, out migration and in migration, okay? We're number 50 worst right now. Who's mm-hmm. first? Now you look at Tennessee. So you look at Tennessee. What makes Tennessee first? How are they kicking the shit out of us, right? And then you go into how and why and what's happened in the last 13 years. So they weren't that great of a place to be 13 years ago. And we were one of the best in the country, the best in the Midwest for sure. Wow. Now we suck. We're the worst in the country, worst in the Midwest. All right. And what happened? So, so it's a way of saying bluntly, worst to first and, and, and then aspirationally, don't we want to compete? I mean, most people comp- compete at something in their lives and want to be good or great, right? Nobody wants to be last. So it's two things. It's, tax theft and it's worst to first that, that, I, that you can have great conversations all day long with any audience and build it for the audience by the way right if it's an audience that's that's labor and and minimum wage workers okay there's taxes they care about and there's things they care about being great at right if, it, if it's uh, um you know ceos and, and landowners and and uh, you know real estate people you know leaders then it's a whole different story right so again I want to, I want to be able to do it digitally, of course, but then I also want to do it, be able to do it on a stage anywhere to be able to bring the stuff and say, Hey man, let me, let me show you just a couple of quick uh, visuals and some, some messaging that we built to, to describe how bad Illinois is 
and how great we could be, right? And if you if we could if we could build the the, the visuals for that, right? And, why, and why, be, don't, why don't we just do like a ninety second video for you? And you hit play and does all the work for you. Hmm. Graphics yeah. moving around and shifting and like here's Illinois and Tennessee and they swap and how and yeah 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 that could be a good way to do it right so so have those so have those two things in the background right whatever and be talking about you know these different things take the take the four or five things that matter most or maybe just two or three things that matter most and worst to first two or three things that matter most on taxation right and just do a, do a quick like two minute video on it right. Yeah, well, the whole idea is to spread the word. So why not give people an asset to watch and share? I would yeah. ask. Yeah, you can do a short video and you can do a long video, right? You can do a, you can do a 10 sure. minute video that goes into, you know, 10, 10 taxes and 10 yeah. things. But, you can, you can, but, but, I, but if you not, can, not as, many, not as many people watch it. If you can put it into two and a half, three max, that's, it's nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so your company would be a good one to work with on that? Yeah, that's just exactly the type of stuff we do. Actually, if you go to stradesso.com and watch the video, just hit watch video, you see that's the video we did for Stradesso. We could do the same thing for you. Okay, cool. I'm going to look at that, and then, uh, then, I, just, then I just go online to, 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 uh, to jump in and get somebody to help or what? Uh, that, just email me. Yeah, Peter at uh, gem half, uh, gem-advertising.com. So gem-advertising.com. Okay. Okay, we, we got it. We got it. I know Chris has got it, so good. All right, bud. Well, thanks for everything, Peter. I really appreciate your time, man. Yep. Always good to meet another, you know, EOYPO. We, we just have such common connectivity, you know? We do. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. You learn the basics of leadership and, and they're all kind of similar. And it, it, it's, it's not rocket science, right? It doesn't change that much from 100 years ago to today. It won't no change kidding. the next 100 years. Shocking, so. huh? Exactly. <laughs> all right, guys. All right, thanks thanks so much. Appreciate your time. Have a great day. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Lord, I was called Ditch Digger Aiming for a living and doing the best I can Discovered entrepreneurship, scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man We're blessed to build a business in America Where soldiers fight for our freedom every day Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck Rolling down Highway 31 Lord, I was called Ditch Digger Man Aiming for a living and doing the best I can Discovered entrepreneurship, scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man